Welcome to the Let Me Bend Your Ear podcast. I'm Frank Roy Correa, the host of the show, and happy that you can join and listen. If you've listened to previous episodes, thank you for coming back. If this is the first time you're listening, welcome, and I hope you continue to be a listener. This podcast discusses three topics, movies, sports, and politics. Each episode will be dedicated to one of these topics. Today's show will center on movies. The show is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Tune in and CastBox under Let Me Bend Your Ear podcast. Please subscribe to the show on any of these podcast apps so you can receive new episodes direct to your device when they become available. Whichever podcast app you use, please rate and review the show. This is a very important and simple way you can help the show reach a wider audience. You can also always get the show from our website, www.letmebendyourear.com. Coming up on the show today, I'll be speaking with my brother Jason about the Marvel film Black Panther and specifically the character of Eric Killmonger. While critics universally praise Michael B. Jordan's performance, we discuss our issues with the character. Jason also will give us two quick reviews of Incredibles 2, which is currently playing in theaters, and Steven Spielberg's Ready Player One, which is now available for purchase or streaming. So first warning before we get into the show regarding Black Panther... There will be spoilers, so if you have not seen Black Panther, please watch the movie first before you listen to this particular show. Before we get into my conversation with Jason, in movie news this week, Alan Taylor, director of Thor Dark World and Terminator Genesis, has signed on to direct the Sopranos prequel film, The Many Saints of Newark. Taylor has directed episodes of The Sopranos as well as Boardwalk Empire and Game of Thrones. The script for this film is by series creator David Chase and Lawrence Connor, who also wrote for The Sopranos. The movie is set in the 1960s in the midst of the Newark riots, which consisted of clashes between African Americans and Italian residents of Newark, New Jersey. Carrie Russell of The Americans is in talks to appear in Star Wars Episode 9. Russell has a long history with writer-director J.J. Abrams, dating back to her starring role in the Abrams TV series Felicity, and she also appeared in the Abrams-directed Mission Impossible 3. Star Wars Episode 9 will be released on December 20th of 2019. In the weekend box office, Ant-Man and the Wasp was the number one movie taking in $76 million domestic, followed by Incredibles 2 uh, with a total of $506 million uh, total. Jurassic Park Fallen Kingdom was in third place. It's got a total take of $333 million and counting. Fourth place was The First Purge, uh, $31 million total and counting. And the fifth movie of the week was Sicario, Day of the Soldado. Day of the Soldado. Uh, that's uh, taken in so far $35.3 million. And looking at the top five, Disney and Marvel continues its domination of the box office, while Jurassic Park, uh, the Jurassic Park franchise, shows no signs of slowing down. The Purge series is becoming a dependable box office franchise as well. And now, my conversation with Jason regarding... Black Panther and the character of Eric Killmonger. Right, glad to have on the show today my brother Jason. Um, I'm having him on because we're going to discuss the movie Black Panther. So before we even get started, um, this is a spoiler alert. So we're going to discuss most of this movie, uh, specifically one of the characters. So uh, there will be spoilers here. So if you've seen, if you have not seen Black Panther yet, uh, then I wouldn't listen to this episode until after you watch the movie. All right, so welcome, Jason. Um, I wanted to get your take because you told me uh, a couple of months ago after we had both seen Black Panther that you're, you thought one of the weakest characters was actually Michael B. Jordan's character of Killmonger, uh, where 
in the critical reviews that I read, pretty much unanimously said he was one of the best parts of the movie. So just give me your thoughts on what you told me and why you disagree with that assessment. Well, the the main thing was, or the, the, the disappointing thing I found about the character was just sort of a very mundane kind of motivation. That the, and ended up his motivation was he just wanted to basically be a glorified weapon seller. He wants to sell the technology to create um, basically anarchy around the world. And to me, it just seemed a little pedestrian in regards to a... Because you can get that kind of villainy in any kind of regular movie. You don't need a, a superhero, quote-unquote, movie to to do that. You know, Black Panther is a superhero. He's got superhuman abilities. He has all of these gifts uh, that he has with technology and, and whatnot. And to to put him against a guy who just simply wants to be a glorified arms dealer just seemed a little disappointing to me um, in regards to the character. I wish his motivation were a little bit, bit a little bit more um, because I, I felt his backstory was very interesting. Felt him being a member of the royal family um, that basically got abandoned by uh, T'Challa's father, uh, Black Panther's father, I thought was very interesting, very compelling. I thought him wanting to come back and take the, and be the the king of Wakanda sort of was like, okay, he, he felt wronged um, that his father was basically um, killed by his brother and you know, he was going to come back and get some sort of, of maybe vengeance, but also kind of seize his birthright in a way to be the king of Wakanda. But in actuality, he ended up just wanting to just grab technology and then sell it. It just seemed very pedestrian to me, to me. A lot of people liked it. Um, it just didn't seem all that compelling to me. Well, let me, yeah, let me talk about that. And, and that's a good point. Cause when you had given me that angle of it, um, it made me think about it. Not that I was a huge fan of the performance. I don't think I disliked it as much as you did. But I think, well, let me go back to the, the prologue. So the movie opens in, I think, the mid-90s when they're both a little kid and, and then what happens is to what you just explained where where um, T'Challa's father kills Killmonger's father. So I thought that was a great opening to the movie and a good setup. And I thought when I first saw the movie, they did kind of make that his motivation. I do agree that it kind of went into the background. So is your issue with the movie that they basically started the movie setting up that backstory and then kind of ignored it when you kind of seen him as a grown up and what he was actually doing? Well, I, if I remember correctly, I have to go back and watch it. I've only seen it once, but if I remember correctly, we don't know at the time that that's Killmonger's father. I, I don't believe that we see him see that until later on in the movie. At the beginning right. of the movie, that's right. We we know that uh, T'Chaka, who is Black Panther at the time of the flashback, is he goes in there. They establish that that's his brother, and we establish that he he basically kills him. Um, but we what we don't know is that he's got a son at that time. Um, and what happens is he becomes a uh, I believe a soldier, and then he gets 
I believe, recruited by the CIA or whomever, whatever secret government agency there is, and basically turns him into this kind of, of I, I'm not mercenary, but basically this special force, guy with skills, guy with skills who can who can kill people. And then basically, which which gives him the foundation to go after T'Challa and and to set his plan in motion. But it's his his motivation there is never about. It doesn't seem to me that his motivation is about T'Challa or T'Chaka or even his father. It, it, it seems that his motivation at that point in time is just to. He's familiar with Wakanda because his father's from Wakanda, so he knows the technology and stuff is there. So he's basically, his motivation is to go in there, get the technology, and sell it. It seems as though this this very kind of emotional uh, interaction you get with one brother killing another brother, it just seems to just fade away. And that is, is really a simple motivation is to, again, get the technology from Wakanda and then spread it out. So it's it's still the sympathy that you would have for that character, which is like, man, he's, he's really been wronged. And for him trying to, to make that right, or at least make it right in his own eyes, the sympathy I would have for that character just because he's just simply, he doesn't care. So if he doesn't care, why would I care? Right. Let me ask you this, because the one thing I did kind of like about the character was um, the way they portrayed him, at least the way I saw it when I saw the movie, and I'm with you, I've only seen the movie but once, I probably need to rewatch it. I kind of got his um, philosophy about why, and this is kind of how he tries to, when he takes takes over the Wakanda, is that he believes that Wakanda shouldn't be a secret anymore and the strength of their heritage and I know it's a strength throughout the film about about Africans and African-American power and the fact that through world history Africans have been either enslaved or not put in a position where they have power in the world and he was uh, to me seemed very motivated even though the motivated motivations were twisted kind of the base of it was we should be powerful there's no reason why we should be hiding uh who we are and what we can do did you get that at all no what it came off to me as was he he his equality in his mind equality meant everybody was it was a free-for-all mm-hmm. so uh that's how i saw it i saw it as for him it was, I agree with you that he saw it, that, that Wakanda shouldn't be secretive, that this technology should be out there. But his reason for the technology to be out there was not to make Wakanda great or to put it at the forefront. It was to, to make everybody or to make everything sort of like, um, kind of to, to liken it to another, to another Marvel hero, say Iron Man. It's to give everybody an Iron Man suit. Everybody has one. You know, and fight it out. Good luck. Um, which was sort of what I took his motivation as. wasn't necessarily that we were going to lead the world because that's our rightful place. It was, I'm going to give everybody a nuclear bomb. You figure it out from there. And then we're going to, you know, wh- whatever happens... We're going to make our moves, and then we're going to either profit from it, um, you know, because I've been in this game long enough 
as a, an operative for the government. So I, I know what I'm going to do. Gotcha. So you, from your from your perspective, there was really no altruistic motive other than to say, I guess, anarchy, like you were saying, but just kind of saying, hey, everybody's going to have the same thing, and I'm still going to end up on top because I'm confident that I know more than everybody else. Right, right. It was anachronistic, and it was basically sort of like, again, if you were, it's a battle royal. It's a battle royal, and I think I'm going to win because I've, this, this has been my whole life. My whole life has been a fight. I've been fighting, 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 fighting. I'm going to throw out uh, all the weapons to everybody. Everybody gets all the weapons. And then, you know, we'll see who's left standing at the end, which is, you know, I, I guess if you're, uh, if you're okay with that, or I guess if you, if you think that's a good motivation, then it, then it appeals to you from that character. But to me, it just seems like, a very kind of normal, because we get that all the time. But, I mean, we see that all the time in movies. We see that where, okay, this guy, look, I just want anarchy. We saw it with, we saw it probably best, I would say the best portrayal of that is was the Joker in The Dark Knight. Yep, I agree. Um, you know, and it just, and even though this is a different take on that, uh, I just feel like, okay, we've seen that, done that before, and it fits for the Joker. I don't know that it fits for Killmonger unless that's who he is all the time. I just, I felt the backstory of, between his father and his uncle, I, I felt was very good, was an excellent setup, and I felt it didn't go anywhere because I just felt the character was, was, was not as attached to his father, his uncle, or Wakanda as I thought he was going to be. Right, that's a good point, because I think and after you and I discussed it and I had thought about the film and the way the film set up, because actually one of the performances I liked a lot was Andy Serkis' performance uh, as the mercenary that was uh, stealing and trying to get all, the, all of, the, uh, of the element. I forgot the name of the element right now uh, that Wakanda has. But I like him. Thank you. Play. So I was I, I I liked his performance a lot. It was over the top, but I thought in a good way. And maybe the issue, as I remember the movie, is maybe they could have still really put more into that emotional storyline between the two brothers and Killmonger's relationship to that, and it still have him be associated with the mercenary character uh, in a in a way that would have underscored really his motivation being um, anger and you know, losing his father and that anger that built up over the years from a little boy to when he grew up. Is that really what you were saying? That, that they, they kind of let that go instead of going into that more? Right. I mean, it, it felt as though like the, the portrayal of that, because at the beginning of the movie, neither of them, the uncle or so, so Killmonger's father and T'Challa's father, neither of them are happy about the situation. We see that. They're both regretful about the situation. They know what has to happen. But neither of them, they, they, they understand that they're at this place. So, and then, and I think the movie does a good job of portraying that. And I think the movie does an excellent job of T'Challa being angry with his father for basically abandoning his cousin. Right. I agree. They did a great job so with we, that. Yeah. Right. So we see that and we see that portrayal. So everybody has, you know, there's, there's regret on every single piece. So T'Challa has 
forget. T'Chaka has regret. I, I can't remember um, Killmonger's father's name, but he has regret. They all have regret except for Killmonger. He's the only one that doesn't have any regret, in at least not that I could see, in regards to what has happened. Now, maybe that's a function of him growing up basically without a father, without, um, you know, basically as a, a soldier slash, you know, secret operative, things of that nature. Maybe that's a function of that. Um, and that's probably the one way I could at least accept it. I, I wouldn't necessarily be satisfied with it, but I can accept it. It just seems that there's a bunch of regret going on. And maybe that's because he's the bad guy. Maybe in order for him to continue to be the bad guy, he can't have regret about not being the king or about not being considered or considered for that or being basically unknown, not forgotten, unknown, forgotten by his, his uncle, but basically unknown by the rest of the country um, because his father being in, in the U.S. at the time was, was very much a secret, and then he ended up trying to sell vibranium and things of that nature. So it just seems like a missed opportunity. I, I think it would have given him some a little more depth, you know, rather than just the stereotypical, I'm going to sell weapons or I'm just going to be, you know, the bad guy, which I think Marvel sort of has a rap for their bad guys not having, being all that compelling. Um, and I think it would have been uh, a little more compelling to see a guy who, who had some regret as far as what could have been. Right. No, that's a good point. I think uh, they definitely had a missed opportunity there in doing that. Well, let's get into it a little bit about Michael B. Jordan's performance. So let's see, because I think we didn't. Um, I don't know if your your take is the an issue with the script or an issue with his performance or an issue with both. So what is it? Is it specific to the performance? Did you like it? Dislike it? Just the, his performance alone. I think I think the problem is because of the direction chosen for the character, I don't think he could give a different performance. I'm not crazy about the performance. The performance, I think, is a, a result of the character. So the character is very straightforward to me, very straightforward, very stereotypical, so you can't really... There's not a whole much you can do there, in my opinion. Um, so it's not, it's, not a, it's not a horrible performance, but there isn't a whole lot of exploration you can do given the character. And do you think um, the character or the performance redeems itself at the end of the movie when you finally have the confrontation uh, between T'Challa and Killmonger, that final battle um, at the end? Is that Did that redeem it anywhere for you, or did it feel like it wasn't earned? Well, it feels... It has an impact from the reaction of T'Challa because you feel as though significantly that he did not want this to go down this way. You know, he felt that, that this was his, his family member. He didn't want to fight him. He certainly didn't want to kill him. Um, so from that standpoint, I, I think you feel the impact from his standpoint. I still think at the end, um, Killmonger is still this sort of unrepentant, unregretful character 
He's still coming at T'Challa, you know, like a stereotypical villain would. He's not, uh, which is okay. That's fine. Because, again, that's how the character is laid out for us. Uh, but I think the impact of the character being who he was, being, you know, a member of the royal family, I think that's not, I don't think we get that from, from Killmonger's side. I think we get that from T'Challa's side. Gotcha. So it's more of a one-sided um, pathos or regret um, where the villain is just basically being the villain, like you said, because that's how it was laid out for us, and the performance is consistent from when you first find out to the very end. Right, and like I said, the character is laid out a very certain way. Once we, once, even when we know, even when we find out who he is, the character is still, and I, and that's a plus because the, the character doesn't doesn't isn't inconsistent. You know, the character's decided to be a certain way, and that's how it's laid out the entirety of the rest of the movie. So, for consistency purposes, that works. From a from an exploration of character or from a from a, a depth of character, it for me it's it doesn't work as well because it just again it just gives us this sort of character that we've seen hundreds of times in other movies and the sort of the impact of that character's background we don't feel it from Killmonger we feel it from T'Challa. You know, right. so I think I think that's and, and that's a that's a credit to that character and to Chadwick Boseman, um, because he's he's the one that's feeling. I think he's he's feeling the regret of his father. His father never showed it because his father never told anybody. He's feeling the regret of his father over the choice that his father made, right. and we we see that, and it's done very well. We don't. We see regret in his in Killmonger's father when he interacts with T'Chaka at the beginning of the movie, but we never see that from Killmonger. And again, maybe it's a product of of just how the character is is presented to us, being a soldier and then being a special operative and things. I mean, just he doesn't have the opportunity to do that. But I just felt it from a character standpoint because I think it could, he could oh, he could clearly be a bad guy throughout. But sometimes it's 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 nice to have a compelling bad guy or at least a uh, a bad guy you can have some sympathy for. You can sympathize for. You know, you'd be like, okay, look, if I was in his situation, I'd probably do the same thing. You know, right. Um, I don't think we got that here. I can't say if I was in this situation, I'd turn up being a, 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 an arms dealer for the world or something like that. But uh, just a missed opportunity. You know, we don't, again, that's kind of a criticism for Marvel movies for a lot of people. We don't get a whole lot of depth on the bad guy side. We got Loki, um, who's not really a bad guy anymore, right. more of an anti-hero. But, but uh, if you look at the... Like, if you look at the first Thor movie and the presentation of Loki, you're like, man, I feel for the guy, you know? He's still the bad guy. He's still clearly the bad guy. But with Loki, you're like, well, that's, okay, I guess, I just didn't get that from um, from Killmonger, unfortunately. Yeah, Loki is a great example too. It's funny you say that too, because I just rewatched Thor Ragnarok the other day, and one of, and we can maybe talk about this. I may have you back on to talk about that one because there's a great scene 
in Thor Ragnarok where Thor knows Thor, uh, Loki so well that there's an inter- there's an exchange that they have and he basically knows exactly what Loki's going to do and Loki's always consistent and like you said it, the perfect word for him is anti-hero and it's funny because it's like they always tease I think they do a great job of Loki that he may have some humanity or thought of others and then the, it is always undermined by who he really is which is great. So it's never inconsistent. He never acts out of character. And the funny part about it is they basically show him acting completely within character and completely consistent. And in this case, unlike with Killmonger, it works because it ends up being right. funny because you're like, oh, of course. Well, and here's also the other thing I think with, again, with Loki, and this is this is a credit to how they present the kid, but also I think a, a bigger credit to Tom Hiddleston. Um, throughout Every movie, even Dark World, which most people don't like, the interaction between Thor and Loki is one of it's it's complicated. Yeah. Thor Thor sees him as his brother, always treats him as his brother, and would in my estimation, would never kill him. Never. You know, even if you look at the end of Thor, the first movie, is trying to save his life. If you look at, say, uh, if you look at Ragnarok, or if you look at Infinity War, or every single time, you know, Thor would have opportunities, and he's stronger than Loki. He'd be able to kill Loki, but that is his brother. He grew up as his brother. And... So we, we see this depth of of interaction between Thor and Loki, even though Loki is the bad guy. Thor recognizes who Loki is, but he's like, hey, what do you want me to do? That's my brother. Yeah. You know, I, think- I always get that kind of feeling off of Thor. I never got that feeling off of, of Killmonger, um, you know, that interaction. I think... T'Challa, if given the opportunity, and he was never presented the opportunity, would be like, look, man, we, we can work this out. But I don't think he's ever given the opportunity because I just think, like I said, Killmonger was just sort of presented as this character that's got one end goal, and that's just the way he's going. Right. And, uh, no, and I think with Loki and Thor, you're right, and I think yeah. even from, from Hiddleston's performance, so Thor sees it one way, and I think Loki... And, and then maybe this is the way I see the performance. I do think, even though he's out for himself, I do think he's uh, he portrays the anger of um, how he's been treated by both uh, his father and Thor, even though Thor cares for him. So I think he, that jealousy plays in there, that anger, that bitterness all plays in there. And I think, though, he does portray at least some level that he loves Thor as his brother as well, but not so much to the point where he's gonna do something altruistic or something that's not gonna make him uh, come out ahead at the expense of Thor. He loves him, but only to a point. Well, what's the... Again, this is sort of goes to a, a depth of character type of issue. What's the When you look at Loki, what's the motivation that we see him in the first Thor movie? He wants to, he wants to be the king. He thinks he should be the king of Asgard. Right. He thinks Thor doesn't take it seriously, Thor's flippant, things of that nature. He wants to be the king of Asgard. So by the time Ragnarok rolls around, he's technically the king of Asgard, even though he's pretending 
there's Thor spoilers, Ragnarok spoilers. He's, yeah. he's technically <laughs> the king of Asgard, even though he's pretending to be Odin, mm-hmm. right? So, right. so what's happening here? He's not, he's not waging war. He's not unsatisfied or things of that nature. He's where he wants to be. Um, so he's not being this sort of destructive force. And even if you look, again, if you look at Loki throughout the movies, um, he's portrayed the way he's portrayed. He's portrayed as the bad guy. But what does he never do? He, he never kills any of his family, right? Right. Even though Odin in the first Thor is vulnerable to, uh, I forget the name of the ice giant, but anyway, um, he's vulnerable there. What does Loki do? He kills the ice giant, right? And in, in turn, protects Odin. Does it, you know, his mother is probably the person he feels the most kinship to. Right. Uh, never kills Thor. He might fight Thor, but never kills him or never puts him in a position where he's going to die. Um, so he's never, he might be devious and he might do things, but his end goal is to be on the throne. So he's never in sort of this, again, he's not this anachronistic type of character that Killmonger is. So I think if we, I'm not saying you have to be altruistic. I'm just saying if your goal, uh, it depends on what your goal is. If, if Killmonger's goal from the outset is just to be this sort of guy that, again, brings technology from Wakanda out so everybody can have it and everybody can, again, free for all. Okay, but again, we've seen that how many times, not just in Marvel movies, but in other movies, you know, other action movies. We see it all the time. You know, it just it just seemed like an opportunity to give us something a little more, a little more depth because so what 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 happens with superhero movies? You have to have a super, you have to have an arch villain typically, right? You have to have that guy or woman that is, you know, the the antithesis of the hero but also the equal of the hero. And I, I just didn't feel we got that with Killmonger. We may have gotten it from a physical standpoint. I just didn't think we got it from a philosophical standpoint. No, that's a, that's a great point. That's a good point. And, and otherwise, it's funny. Why do you think, and I don't know what the issue is, why do you think pretty much unanimously, you know, the movie itself got critical acclaim, and it is a very good movie. Why do you think that critics in particular pointed to Killmonger as their favorite character in the movie. I I think it has a lot to do with the I think it has a lot to do with the and I think they're comparing it not to action movies in general. I think they're comparing it to other Marvel movies or other superhero movies which I think in general have a a real dirt of good villains. Um, and I'm going to expand this not just to Marvel, but also to DC. If you look at the big sort of tentpole movies, they don't, they don't bring us a lot. Let's look at the first Avengers movies. What did we have? We had Loki. So, okay, we got Loki. He's sort of the gold standard when it comes to, to superhero movie villains. Uh, let's look at Avengers 2. Ultron. Very disappointing. Yes. Could have been a lot better, but just a very disappointing kind of of villain. Let's look at, again, we go back to Thor. We had Loki. We go back to Thor, uh, the Dark World. 
Loki's still in there, but at this point, he's starting to transform. At this point, the character's starting to be less villain, more anti-hero. Right. Uh, so we're left with um, the the Dark Elves, and I can't remember uh, the name of the head Dark Elf. Again, it's 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 a very it's a throw almost a throwaway character, um, and this is the main villain of the movie. Uh, let's see. We'll look at uh, let's look at the Iron Man movies. Uh, first one, excellent, um, basically origin story. We have Stain, who ends up being the bad guy, but Jeff Bridges is a great actor, but not a whole lot to do from a villain standpoint. Right. Um, he made the most of that role. I mean, I thought he was great in there, and right. Iron Man is one of my favorite ones, but he made the most of it. And was yeah, he did what he does because he's a great actor. Right. Almost the same thing. I thought Mickey Warwick was good as uh, is it Whiplash? I can't remember whiplash, the, yeah, the name of the character. Yep, um, it's good, but again, not given a whole lot to do. Um, Sam Rockwell, you know, as Hammer, entertaining, but again, not given a whole lot to do. So we sort of have this lack of bad guys that Iron Man 3 I'm just not a fan of. Um, there's not much to go on there. Captain America, the first movie, very kind of... It's a movie that I think is underrated, but, uh, you know, Red Skull is a very sort of stereotypical World War II Nazi bad guy. Right. Um, you know, Winter Soldiers, when stuff starts to really, I think, escalate, pick up in quality... Uh, for a lot of the Marvel movies, particularly the the the, the Captain America movies, because we see, I mean, because I thought Robert Redford was great in that movie. Oh, great. Um, we'll get into that, too. That's my second. I mean, I did a quick top five for someone that posted on Facebook, on my Facebook page, and, and Iron Man, to me, is number one, and Captain America Winter Soldier is number two. Probably 1A. That movie is fantastic. So we see that, um, but again, Robert Redford is not your your stereotypical supervillain. Nope. You know, and that's just sort of the whole deal with, with Winter Soldier is that it's more, you know, political thriller. A lot of it's political thriller versus just straight up action movie. So this is why you have a guy like Robert Ruffer be able to pull that off. So I think you have these sort of kind of very, not mundane, but you have sort of these villains that aren't very, that are very two dimensional. Right. And you can, again, you can, this isn't just with, with Marvel, if you look at Man of Steel, we're talking uh, Zod, which was, okay, not great. Batman v Superman, which we're talking about, uh, who, Luthor? Who I, I wasn't necessarily, I didn't hate the portrayal by Jesse Eisenberg, but again, it's not the greatest villain out there. And then your, your big bad is, is, Doomsday, who has no personality whatsoever, it's just a CG creature. Um, then you have Justice League, where it's Steppenwolf, who fans of the comic book know Steppenwolf is not the main bad guy. We know that. So when you go into Justice League, you're like, oh my God, they're facing Steppenwolf. As a comic book fan, you're going to be like, oh, they're facing Steppenwolf. We know that the guy behind Steppenwolf, Darkseid, that's the guy. That's the guy you need to be worried about. Steppenwolf is nobody. You know, so immediately from a comic book fan standpoint, from my standpoint, Justice League fails immediately because, A, Steppenwolf we know is not the biggest, baddest guy in the universe. He's just not. Um, 
And then when you actually watch the movie and you see just how generic that character is, you're like, oh, my God. You know, and it's just bad. So I think Killmonger, I think, checks the boxes for a lot of those things because he's not simply some nondescript CG character. And he's, he's, he's better than sort of the, what we've gotten with Zod and, and Lex Luthor and, and sort of these, um, again, the, the dark elves in, in Thor, Dark World. So he's better than all of those things. So I think he comes, I, so I want to say the bar was low, but you can exceed expectations when your expectations have been set by very generic sort of characters. And I think that's why I think a lot of fans and a lot of critics like the character because it's like, oh, okay, well, this is better. We're, we're getting better. This is all on the way to where we need to be much, much better than most, say, 95% of the stuff we get from a villain standpoint. Gotcha. So, in your opinion, it's like you were saying, it's a, a a pretty low bar has been set. So, anything that approaches something that raises the bar, even if it's a little bit, is something that the, that critics and fans are going to kind of lean on to. Right. Exactly. Because you can't. Again, it's not. It's just so. It's like, so like Wonder Woman. I, again, I don't want to get off track. Wonder Woman to me is a good movie. It's not a great movie. A lot of people love that movie. Um, I'm one of them. And the best, to me, the best part about that movie is not Wonder Woman. The best part about that movie is Steve Trevor. Um, but if you look at sort of the things in Wonder Woman, sort of they fall into kind of the same trappings as other, these other movies. Generic villain. Um, very predictable as far as how it's going to, to come. And again, uh, I'm coming at this from a comic book fan standpoint, so there's a lot of backstory that I'm familiar with that most people aren't going to be familiar with. So, you know, things pop up in the movie that I'm like, yeah, I knew that was coming. Um, and things of that nature. So when you look at movies that are presented, superhero movies kind of fall into this trap because things are presented in such a way where the hero is typically interesting, but the bad guy isn't. And that's just the way the the movies have been presented from Marvel and DC for the most part. Well, I think um, part of that problem, too, uh, is, look, you're, you're getting superhero movies at such a fast clip now, so the tropes that are in these movies become even more obvious because you're literally getting a comic book movie every six months, it appears. Sometimes even tighter window than that. I mean, between Black Panther and Avengers Infinity War, it was literally six weeks. So you're getting these movies back to back to back, and then you're getting kind of the tropes which you kind of have to have in a comic book movie like you said a superhero an arch villain and i think obviously the it's kind of like anything with uh taking it from one hour form to another, whether it's books to movies or comic books to movies, you're going to lose a lot of backstory and a lot of the stuff that makes that interesting that may make, make the bad guy interesting. And like you said, I think, you know, they're kind of checking the boxes. And especially in Marvel's case, I, I get it in the sense that they, these movies are hugely successful for the most part. They've had a couple that misfires, but for the most part, the people are buying the tickets. So I think, and I get it, is we're not gonna we're not gonna fix it if it ain't broken. Right. Well, I think what I think Marvel what I think Marvel has done, I think they've given us sort of this 
if people again, people criticize. The only people I know criticize Marvel movies are DC fans. They're the only people I know that criticize Marvel movies um, consistently. Uh, basically, they've done this. They wanted their criticism is that the Marvel movies are very formulaic, and I, and I and I maybe for a couple of movies. But if you look at, let's say we look at the last three, and let's say we could look at the last four. Now I haven't seen Ant Man and the Wasp, but just came out Friday. Let's say we look at the last three, all huge hits. We look at Thor Ragnarok, uh, Black Panther, and Avengers Infinity War. Three very different movies with different takes, but all fit in this, this larger narrative that they've established over 10 years of movies. And they have this down to a science. They, they, they pick the directors they believe will, and I've seen analysis of this very well done online. They pick directors they believe will work. And, they, and, they, and I think they give them this direction of, look, make your movie, but we need these three things from your movie. You know, this is our big story. We need to have it fit into the big story. Other than that, make your movie. And I think they do a very good, which is why I think you can get a guy like Ryan Coogler to direct a Black Panther, why you can get a guy like Taika Waititi to do it or Ragnarok and to do it their own way because I think Kevin Feige says, hey, guys, look, we, we, don't, we don't want to step all over the kind of movie you're going to make. We're on board with that. We just needed to hit A and B. If you hit A and B, do what you want to do. And I think the directors are on board with that. I think for the most part it works. And I think that's why you can look at movies. Again, we just go to those three, but then let's pull it back a little more. Then you look at a Doctor Strange, which is a very different movie, but also works. You look at the Civil War, which is a different movie, but it also works. And they just do, Marvel just has it down. They're so good at it. They have it down to a science that they can like, look, we're going to, yeah, is the bad guy not going to be this three-dimensional bad guy? Sure. But guess what? We've had that before, and a movie still makes a half a billion dollars. You know, so they don't, they, they want to focus, I think they want to focus on the guys that are, look, as much as they want to give us new characters, which they do, look, the most popular guys are still Downey Jr., Chris Hemsworth, Chris Evans. Those are still the guys. Yeah, no, that's the 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 big three. No, absolutely, and and that and they understand that. Well, that's the thing. I think they've stroked the balance between. Look, Kevin Feige is obviously the mastermind of this, and 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 cares about the product. And but I think he's he's almost uh, like tap dancing. He's he's found that way because I think when you and I have talked about comic book movies all the way back to uh, the original Batman's with Tim Burton, uh, we've always talked about. The toughest thing I think to achieve is the balance between satisfying hardcore comic book fans and people that have never opened upon a comic book in their life uh, to make these movies accessible to both of those contingencies, both very different contingencies. And in every one of these movies, like you said, the DC people attack the lack of good villains in Marvel movies. So the movies are not going to ever make everybody happy, but I think Marvel has found that magic formula to satisfy enough of the comic book fans and the people that have never read a comic book to flock and give these movies tons of money because they're well done. 
Well, I mean, that's that's the bottom line. Because, look, you don't the, – the hardcore comic book fan, you don't have to appeal to. You want to know why? Because they're going to come see it anyway. That's they're going to come and they're going to go. True. They're going to go. They're going to go see that movie. That's not the person you have to appeal to. The person you have to, and they don't because if you, a lot of these stories that you see in the movie, they're based off of comic book stories, but they're not shot for shot representations of the comic book storyline. Civil War was. If you read the there's two civil wars in the comic books. If you read the original Civil War that came out, I believe in the early 2000s. Um, and I have it somewhere, it's, that is, it ends up being Cap versus Tony and their respective sides, but the, the catalyst for the Civil War comic book is not even close to what it is in the movie, but Kevin Feige and that whole cinematic universe has done a very good job of adapting concepts from the comic book and fitting them into their cinematic universe because that's what we've been presented. Comic book fans are going to know the universe overall. You know, movie fans are just going to know the cinematic universe. So they need stories that are going to fit the narrative of the cinematic universe, which is why the Civil War that you see on screen is different than the Civil War you would have read in the early 2000s. Conceptually, it's the same, but the specifics... They're not the same. Which I think is good because what I think about, uh, and I don't watch it anymore, is the AMC adaptation of The Walking Dead. So when I used to watch that so regularly, and you would watch the after shows when Kirkman would come on and discuss it with the showrunners of The Walking Dead, and he's intimately involved with the production of the series series as well, which a lot of times you don't get the comic book creator involved with the actual show in another medium. He's always made it a point to say that the, the television show is not a direct uh, blueprint from the comic book. The comic book adds, acts as the guide, and they veer from that, obviously for a couple of reasons. One, because storytelling in a different medium uh, calls for that, and two, um, the comic book p people that love The Walking Dead, at least you can vary it so they're not seeing every single thing or knowing something's going to happen before it happens. So I think in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, it's the same thing. If you adapt the concepts from something like Civil War, where you get the basic framework of a story and then make the adjustments for the cinematic universe, at least it gives that comic book viewer, whether they like it or don't like it, at least somewhat different experience of that story in a different medium. Yeah, I mean, right. And I think, like, Civil War is an example. I think a more recent example, Thor Ragnarok is a, is a, is a very good example. It takes parts of Planet Hulk storyline from the comic books and adapts them in a very different way. And um, so what we get is, a, is, we don't get Planet Hulk, because Planet Hulk as a storyline in the comic books is, is not Thor Ragnarok. Thor Ragnarok is, a very, is, is basically an action comedy. Planet Hulk is not a comedic at all. Um, so, they, so they take the concept of Planet Hulk, which is, again, it's got a very comic book uh, roots, very strong comic book roots in it, and they just take concepts from it and adapt it to what they need it in, in the movies. And I think, you know, Infinity War is another example of that. It's not, it's, 
it's a, it's an infinity gauntlet storyline from the comics but again not shot for shot it doesn't you know there are characters that are in the infinity gauntlet storyline that we're that we're not going to see because they basically have not been introduced in the movies yet so um it's an adaptation it's a it's conceptual hey we'll take this concept we'll apply it to to how it fits for us we'll apply certain aspects of it we're going to take this piece and this piece they piecemeal it but they do it very well right right all right well i'm gonna i think this is a good stopping point because we're going to get into avengers affinity war and one i haven't seen that movie yet so oh, you haven't I seen want, no i haven't seen it so uh, i don't want oh. you which is not your fault I, and you haven't done anything and you haven't given any spoilers away um what you said i've kind of already know so i don't want you to inadvertently give me any spoilers so uh we'll, we'll stop right there and after i see it i'll definitely probably have you back on the show anyway because i think it'll be fun to kind of i mean we went off of Kilmar to talk about the the marvel and the dc i definitely want to get with you on the dc uh train wreck i want to kind of get more into that with you we can talk about that specifically as to why i think they can't get it right um with a couple of exceptions obviously wonder woman being one um we'll i want to definitely dive into that because that's it's unfortunate especially when they have some of the greatest comic book characters ever ever in batman um and joker and and all that kind of stuff so we'll kind of get into that later so uh again thank you for coming on the show and giving your perspective on this i really appreciate it uh, no problem oh by the way go see incredibles 2 i saw that uh yesterday oh you know what let's not stop real quick since it's my show we can keep going i know i was going to go to a screening a couple of weeks ago and i couldn't go and one of the incredibles is one of my favorite pixar movies the first one give me a quick review of the second one how was it uh, I, I rather enjoyed it. Um, I, I would say this. It, I mean, be careful because people hype it up. People really, really hyped it up. Mm -hmm. And it's a really good movie. I think they hyped it up a little too much for me. Right. Um, but I, I thoroughly enjoyable. Um, it, it basically picks up right where the first one left off, even though there's been a gap between movie one and movie two. Right. Uh, as far as timeline, movie timeline, there is no gap. It's it's right there, so um, it looks phenomenal. Um, the the characters are pretty consistent. Uh, I enjoyed it. I rather enjoyed it. Um, it's a good movie. Yeah, really good movie. I think I definitely you could take. Um, could you take your kids to see it? Sure, but to me, this is really a movie that um, appeals to uh, adults, is simply because. Incredibles, the first one is, you know, st still my favorite Pixar movie, and it's one of those. Most Pixar movies appeal to both adults and kids, um, but this one almost to me is is sort of appeals to those kids that saw the first one but are now adults. You know, and they're like, come back, you know, watch it. Very good movie, very good. I, I thought it was great. Um, enjoyed it very much. Um, they just I thought they did a good job with the characters. Um, certainly worth uh, going to see it in the movies, I think. And um, yeah, you won't be disappointed. In my opinion, you won't be disappointed. Other movie I saw this weekend, I actually watched it uh, online, and I really, really enjoyed it much more than I thought I would. Is Ready Player One? Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, I know um, the reviews were kind of mixed on that really good ones and kind of okay ones so uh, i haven't seen it either i mean obviously with the 
being a film buff, I know a lot of that stuff is kind of cool, the stuff that's interpreted into the movie. But one of the funny criticisms I thought is how they ended up using, well, minor spoiler alert, but the Iron Giant as a weapon when the Iron Giant film, which is also directed by Brad Bird, who did Incredibles, is really more of a peace type movie than using that character as a war weapon, which was I thought was kind of odd. But Well, if you... Yeah, it's, it's sort of odd in the stamp from the standpoint of if you watch the original Iron Giant and sort of the the narrative of that movie, which is I, I think more along the lines of like he's not he he's not going to be what you want him to be, you know, which is to me sort of the message I get from the original Iron Giant when I've watched it is right. that. You know, they see him as a weapon. That's what they think he is. That's what they wanted to use him as. He ain't going to be that. That's not, no. He's like, no, that's not me. You know, I'm something different. You know, and that movie is so, so good. Um, it's sort of that. I mean, if you if you watch the movie, here's the thing that I, that I enjoyed about the movie, and then uh, we'll leave it at that. Um, if you, like you and I, grew up in the 80s, there's certainly enough nostalgia there for that, for sure. Um, but there's also some contemporary references and things of that nature that are there that you don't have to be a child of the 80s to appreciate the movie, number one. Uh, number two, I don't think it relies on the nostalgia. To, to me, it just enhanced it. Here's how I know I was... I, I, I was watching a copy of it, uh, and like the first, I watched the first five minutes. I'm like, all right, I stopped. Let me go buy this movie. So that's what I did. I went to go buy this movie, watched it, worth every penny. Well, that's a good recommendation then, because I definitely want to check it out then. Um, I know it just came out on DVD, and uh, either that or I may borrow it from you. Well, cool. Well, I appreciate. Oh, I don't that. have a physical. I don't have a physical copy. Yet. Oh, digital copy. Okay. okay. Yeah. I forgot. I forgot. It's 2018. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, so anyway. I don't. Uh, I mean, it depends on what it is, but yeah, go see Incredibles two. Go see um, uh, or watch uh, Ready Player One. I'm probably going to go see Ant Man next week, so I have a better idea of, of how that movie. I want to see it. I think it's going to be good. I was pleasantly surprised with the first one, so I'll go watch this one. Yeah, I like the first Ant Man too. All right, well, perfect, well, man. Thanks, man. It was a great show today. I appreciate you coming on. Yep. All right, man. All right. All right. See you. Thanks again to my brother, Jason, for coming on the show today. Let me know your thoughts about this or any other show. The show's website is www.letmebendyourear.com. Please subscribe to the show on any of the following podcasting apps. Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, Stitcher, TuneIn, or CastBox. You can also subscribe and follow the YouTube channel. That is Let Me Bend Your Ear Podcast. You can follow the show at Twitter. Uh, the handle is at Bend Your Ear Pod. We're also on Instagram, also Bend Your Ear Pod. If you have any suggestions uh, for shows or any feedback you want to send me directly, you can always email me at bendyourearpodcast at gmail.com. Please rate and review the show if you can. This is extremely important to the growth of this or any other podcast that you listen to. Speaking of that, I also want to take the opportunity to thank my fellow podcasters. The podcasting community is a group of people that support each other, offer advice, and help spread the word about each other's shows. I am profoundly appreciative of those who have retweeted my latest episode on their own social media and also have listened and let me know what they thought personally. I want to thank a couple of podcasts by name right now. 
Uh, I want to first start with the Conspired bot podcast. Our Twitter handle is at Conspired, C-O-N-S as in Sam, P-E-A-R-E-D, uh, hosted by Natalie and Gerald. Uh, great uh, podcast regarding true crime and also the paranormal. So give them a check. Uh, check out their show. Just listen to their three-parter on Casey Anthony. Since I live in Orlando, I was intimately familiar with that particular case as the country was if you watched the trial. Uh, they did a great job breaking that down and providing a really good narrative of that uh, particular event. Also, I want to thank a podcast about something there at APA something. That's their Twitter handle. Also, give them a listen as well. Uh, they've been extremely supportive uh, of me, and I appreciate that. The other podcast I want to talk about is Next Door Villain Podcast. There are at Next Door Villain. And I want to give an actual special thank you to the Glenn Think Stuff podcast. First of all, funny podcast. I listened to it specifically as episode talking about the I, Tanya movie. Uh, he did a great job. Uh, giving his opinion on it and his thoughts on that particular movie. Uh, and he tells a story about giant belt buckles, which I guarantee you is worth a listen. So definitely check him out. And I also want to thank him personally. Uh, he reached out to me and listened to, rated my episode and was kind enough to reach out to me and let me know that he had done both and gave me a really good review and good feedback on the episode that he listened to. He listened to episode four, my last episode with my interview with Dr. Peggy McLeod of uh, Unidos US. So I really appreciate that, Glenn. Thank you very much. And uh, again, I'm a, I'm a new fan of your show. I appreciate it. He is on Twitter at Glenn Things Stuff. So uh, follow him as well. And his show is worth a listen as well. Great stream of consciousness. And again, I am really appreciative of you reaching out to me, Glenn. Uh, it meant a lot to me. Thank you very much. Please follow and subscribe and listen to the shows I just named. And again, thank you to all the shows, even ones that I didn't mention that have reached out to me on social media. You are all appreciated and thank you. And I hope everyone does extremely well with the shows they're putting out there. Uh, the indie podcast community, as I've come to quickly realize, is a community of supportive people uh, that want to lead people to other podcasts, find things that people like to listen to. Because the key to any of our shows growing is that we uh, tailor ourselves or what we do best to the listeners that would would appreciate what we have to offer. So thanks again. And I want to thank everybody for listening to today's show. And I want to hope everybody has a great week.